Well, thanks for, uh, for having me back. Uh, many of you I know, those of you that I don't, hi. It's really, really great to meet you. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been almost five years since we left a plant center church. And uh, some of you have the entrepreneurial gene, so you totally get it. You don't need any explanation. But a lot of people are like, why do you pick up your family, you, and then the four other people who are counting on you to make sure this is a good idea? And, uh, and to provide for them and go, go start a church. And um, I didn't realize I had this with me until just a few minutes ago. Um, but this is a really good example of why, um, why planting a church, why taking risks for the things that God puts on your heart has been significant to me. Um, in the last five years, I've learned a whole bunch of things. But uh, a few years ago, a, a young lady came into our church. She lives in the neighborhood where our church is at. Uh, her name's Nina, and uh, Nina drew a lot of attention to herself, and uh, she brought her mom to church with her. Her mom didn't take very long to realize that her mom, Laura, was uh, pretty far from God, uh, but she came into our lives. They lived in, in the neighborhood, and uh, just a few weeks ago, they moved away. They moved to uh, Hawaii. Oh, I know. Poor, poor them. Uh, but I got this, uh, this postcard from, uh, from Laura, the mom, and uh, this, is, this is what it says. Just a small thanks to all of the incredible joy that you and the church family have brought into my life. I'm so grateful that Nina wandered into Center Church, which eventually brought me back to Jesus. I so love all of you. And if you're wondering why people do crazy things like start churches, that's why. Because someday we'll all be in heaven together and I'll get to introduce you to Laura. It's going to be awesome. And I mention that to you today because if it wasn't for this church and the investment that so many of you made in me and helped me emerge to uh, have some confidence in myself and the belief that I can do things with God's help, that would not have happened. So I want to say thank you for helping me, um, but also thank you for your investment in Center Church because you have just as much a hand in Laura's life as any of us. So thanks for that investment. And here's the other thing that I've learned that I think is really relevant to our conversation for today. In five years of church planting, the thing I've learned about the Lord is that no matter what I go through and no matter the challenges I face or how uncertain the days ahead look, the anchor is going to hold. The anchor has held in the past. It will continue to hold through this storm. So maybe you are leaving a bunch of people that you really love and you're going to Arizona, but I can assure you that the anchor is going to hold. Or maybe you're saying goodbye to your friends right next to you that you love so deeply. The anchor is going to hold. I, I guarantee you that. And here's how I know. The first four words of the Bible in just pretty much any English translation of the Bible are, in the beginning, God. If those four words are true, if in fact, in the beginning, God, then whatever comes after that is reasonable to believe, is it not? If, if in the beginning, God, then everything after that is okay. It's okay to believe in miracles. They make sense if in the beginning, God, if that's a real thing. It's reasonable to believe that God wants to do new and better things in your life, if in the beginning, God. If we believe, if we start with that premise, then a whole lot of possibilities open up for our future. The possibility that God wants to do new and better things in your life, in the future, becomes a very real possibility, if in the beginning, God. If I put my anchor right there, then a whole lot of doors open up. Here's the biggest hurdle that so many of us face, fear. Have you, ever, have you ever decided to do something or not to do something simply based on the fear 
what happens if I fail? Uh, or have you ever decided, I'm not going to sleep tonight because I'm concerned about this thing? Maybe you didn't decide the not sleeping part, but, but that's what fear does to us. Fear of the future specifically, fear of what might come. Uh, there's a term for that, being afraid of the future. The term is chronophobia, chronotime, phobia, fear. Uh, it's a persistent and often irrational fear. So let's just be really honest with each other. Uh, we still do that here, right? That hasn't changed since I've been gone. Who sometimes has apprehension about the future? Go right ahead. Go, okay, yeah, I think it's pretty much everybody. Okay, we got a consensus on that one. Here's what's really unfortunate about that, and I've seen this in my life, is that sometimes that fear will make me do irrational things that I wouldn't do otherwise. Uh, and sometimes that irrational thing that I do will actually end up damaging the future that I was trying to protect. Uh, it happens in all kinds of ways. My grandfather, in 1980, he bought the initial public offering of Nike stock. He invested about $1,000 in Nike. That was, that was a pretty sound investment, right? Unfortunately, in 1982, for fear of losing his $1,000 investment, he sold his Nike shares. Uh, that happened to be two years before they signed an endorsement deal with that basketball guy, Michael Jordan. Greatest sports endorsement of all time. And so here's how that, that played out. If he had retained his stock, now here's what would have happened. Every quarter, Nike pays a dividend to their shareholders. Uh, so that would be hundreds of thousands of dollars he would have taken in just in dividends by now. But just forget that part. Just the stock itself would be worth roughly $729,000 today. But because of his apprehension, he's not reaping that in. Unfortunately, sometimes our fears, our apprehensions, our anxieties will make us do things that we wouldn't normally do. Now, that one's not tragic. God took care of him. He made money in other places. But sometimes they end up being really consequential. Sometimes that ends up happening. And uh, I, I saw this in action, in action one time, kind of a funny way. Who has a fear of speaking? Anybody here not uh, speaking in public, not speaking at all? Uh, <laughs> does anybody here have the fear of speaking in public? Uh, some studies indicate that as many as three out of four adults are afraid to speak in public. I didn't believe that statistic, so I polled the first service. And I'm going to say it was like beyond three quarters. I, I, I just, obviously, I don't understand how that works. But, uh, but I know that a lot of people struggle with it. So when I was in college, I signed up for a speech class. Uh, and the reason I signed up for a speech class is because I'm, I don't mind speaking in public. So I'm just going to be honest with you and admit that I did it because I thought it would be easy. That was my only motivation. And uh, so I did this speech class, and there's like maybe 120 people or so, kind of like an amphitheater-type classroom, pretty big class. The first several weeks, the instructor did all the talking. Uh, the only one speaking was the instructor. And then one day, she says to the class, we're going to try some impromptu speeches. Now, I'm thinking to myself, okay, that's fine, not a big deal. Um, but I can sort of hear the people around me like, like tensing up. A lot of people are really nervous about this. And so this was in the spring of 2002. Some of you will remember there was a pretty significant event that happened in the fall of 2001, September 11th, namely. So our assignment was we had two minutes to come up in front of the class and describe our experience of the September 11th. And uh, so, you know, no big deal, right? You don't even have to prepare. Like, you just have to tell people where you were, what you felt like. I'm thinking, this is great. 
So she says, she calls on a girl who's sitting in the front row, who had obviously been very engaged in the class, and uh, that was a critical mistake, because this girl got up and nailed it. She was so eloquent, well-spoken, and of course, all the people that were kind of afraid before, their fear just went through the roof, right? Now they're mortified. And uh, so she calls on this young man, I don't remember his name, uh, he was probably 18, 19 years old, and he was kind of sitting you know, back over here in this corner. She calls his name, and he comes lumbering down the stairs, down the aisle. He's not making eye contact. He's not saying anything. He heads up onto the platform, gets to the podium, and keeps walking right on by. <laughs> right out the fire door, the fire escape. I'm not, I'm not even kidding. Just kept walking. Now, in retrospect, um, I, I kind of think maybe he wasn't thinking rationally, because... Think about this, a room full of people that are terrified to get up and speak in public. So if he had gotten to the podium and then fumbled through his two minutes and felt like a complete fool, he would have just been one of, you know, a hundred or more people who did that. No one would be talking about it. But because he decided that being the guy who's remembered as marching straight out the fire exit for fear of public speaking, I guarantee every person who is in that room has regurgitated the story. He decided that was a better option. Uh, he decided, yeah, I know this class cost me like 1500 bucks, but throwing that as a way is a much better option than fumbling through two minutes. Uh, he decided, I know this is going to be a failure on my transcript, but that's a much better option than standing at the podium. Like, you can kind of see now how that wasn't really very rational, right? Because everyone, almost everyone, would have had a similar experience to him, but sometimes our fears just, they just make us do things that we wouldn't normally do. So let me tell you a couple truths about your future. In your future, there's going to be some really great days. That's going to happen. But there's also going to be some tough ones. Those are an eventuality. Uh, in the future, you're going to gain, and you're also going to experience loss. That's a reality of the future. Those things are inescapable. In the future, you're going to celebrate. There's going to be some real victories. But in the future, you're also going to mourn. That's, that's a reality for all of us. And the future most definitely will not look like today. It definitely will look different. History tells you that. Ten years ago, it didn't look like today. Things will be different no matter how hard we try to keep them the same. Those are eventualities. Those are realities about the future. But there's something I think you should know that might radically change your perspective. If maybe the uncertainty of the future creates a little bit of tension, a little bit of anxiety for you, there's something from the scripture that I think from the Bible that will, I think, be helpful to you. And that is this. The most frequently given command in the Bible, the most common directive that God gives, is some variation of the phrase, do not fear. Fear is not God's will for you. Fear makes a really lame master, and God doesn't want that for you. God has something better for you. And so I'm hoping that we can maybe uh, uncover some ways to help us get past that today. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, a couple of really, really significant scriptures that I think will be really helpful for us to, uh, to drop anchor on. Uh, Jesus is in the middle of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, really clever title because he was giving a sermon on the mountain. And he's, uh, he starts, he talks about worry in chapter 6. But here's what you got you to gotta get. Think about the circumstances Jesus lived in. 
So the nation of Israel are currently being occupied by the Romans. At this point, the Roman Empire is basically ruling, occupying, and to some degree oppressing most of the known world. There's never in history been anything like Rome in that regard. So the people kind of have that going. So imagine your neighborhood with some foreign army just marching up and down, patrolling your street. That's bad news. I vote against that. Let's not do that. Second thing that's happening is in our society, we have, uh, we have a large middle class. Most of us kind of fall somewhere in that range uh, of the middle class. But the middle class is a relatively modern phenomenon. That, that didn't really exist more than about 200 years ago. So in their case, you have this really small group of people with all of the affluence, all of the power, and then you have everyone else who just exists. That's, that's really the best that most of them can hope for. So they got that going. So they got this political oppression, they have this economic oppression, and then they have the church scene. Now you have a, a highly religious situation, but one of the things that's so hard for us to understand is that for them, their church leaders were the civic leaders. So like their local governance was the church leaders. And the problem with that is that in that climate, I think it's fair to say that the, the church leadership just had a real mean spirit about it. At the time that Jesus was around, it was just very mean-spirited. So when people are coming to Jesus, they hear he's, he's doing these miracles, he has these really profound teachings. They're coming hoping, maybe this is the guy that's going to get rid of the Romans. Maybe this is the guy that's going to restore us back to economic prominence, back to prosperity. Maybe this is the guy who's going to reform the church environment and put us back in the place that we, we can experience God's favor again. They're coming to Jesus for relief. And Matthew tells us that when Jesus looks out and he sees the people, he sees their frustration, that his prevailing emotion for them is compassion. I think that tells you so much about the kind of person that Jesus is. When you experience those frustrations, when you're scared, you know what his prevailing emotion for you is? It's not, hey, pull yourself together. His prevailing emotion toward you in that situation is compassion. When you feel like a failure, I've felt the weight of that, his prevailing emotion for you is compassion. So in Matthew 6, 25, Jesus is talking to this group of people and he says, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So interesting that he sees their struggle and he, he says right out of the gate, he says, hey, don't worry. Wouldn't it be great if it was just that? Like if, that, if that's what it just came down to, if, if all, it, all you really had to do was just, just not worry? Jesus says, don't worry. And then he gives him this visual, this illustration he says, hey, you see that bird up there in the tree? That little guy's just hanging out, being a bird. He doesn't he didn't really seem worried about anything. He doesn't have any, like, forehead lines or stress eating, Netflix binging. He's just being a bird. He seems pretty carefree. You know, you'd think, like, as carefree as that bird is, that he probably has, like, a lifetime supply of bird seed squirreled away somewhere. He must. He's not worried about anything. Like, his, his nest is surely debt-free. He has to have paid off. He's probably got a retirement nest in Arizona. That bird, he doesn't seem worried about anything. And he says, but the truth about the bird is, he's not worried about anything. 
and he doesn't have anything. In fact, if he doesn't go find his next worm, he's going to die. He has nothing, and yet he's not worried about it. Because that bird seems to have caught on to something that the rest of us forget. Something that we just don't always remember. That little guy knows that the father is good. That little guy seems to understand what a father does. A father loves his children, and so he takes joy in providing for his children. Have you noticed that there's this unmistakable, unbreakable link between love and provision? I mean, how hard is it for you if you have kids to want to provide for them and meet their needs? You don't have to work for that. That's a natural thing. You want to provide for their needs. Sometimes doing it is more difficult than wanting to do it, but God wants to provide for your needs, and he has all the means in the world at his discretion. Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? It's a rhetorical question, and the answer is obvious. And Jesus' point is, you are God's priority. You're his priority. Jesus makes this connection between God's love and his desire to provide. God knows what you're going to need in the future. It will be different than today, but God is already there. He knows what you're going to need, and he'll provide it. That's his promise. But Jesus, of course, is brilliant in this, and he understands in this crowd, there's going to be people like my wife, Brandy, who are horrified of birds, absolutely terrified of birds. Uh, Brandy's had a really stressful weekend. Uh, I, I, this is complete sidebar. I shouldn't even go down this path, but time out. Uh, I officiated a wedding in Portland on Friday. Now, uh, here's the thing. Um, the bride was in my youth group years ago when I was a youth pastor, gosh, 10 plus years ago. And the groom, uh, his, he's a, um, an ethnic, he's ethnically Jewish. He's not practicing, but he is Jewish and his parents are very much convictionally Jewish. So there's like this expectation that, you know, they have a Jewish ceremony. So I co-officiated this ceremony with a rabbi and it was a really foreign experience for me. I was said mazel tov a lot and like just this morning I decided I probably should look that up in case I just like totally offended everyone at the wedding. Uh, turns out it means congratulations. So I congratulated everyone at the wedding. Um, so we had that going and then we were at the park in Portland and there's this huge flock of, um, of geese and they are like bearing down on us. Of course, I don't want to get hit with, you know, any stuff, but Brandy's like frozen deer in the headlights. And uh, so, so we had that going and Jesus understands, hey, some people are afraid of birds, of course. So we need a different analogy for them. And he points out the flowers in the field. Points to the lilies, and he says, hey, see those lilies right there? Aren't they beautiful? And they really are. Have you ever seen, like, a, a hillside or a meadow that's just full of these wildflowers? It really is a marvel. And Jesus says, you know what's interesting about those lilies? They don't worry about anything. God makes the sun come out, and they just open up their arms and soak it in. God makes the rain fall on them, and they just take it in. In fact, the lilies... They don't worry about anything because they're not designed to worry. And he makes the obvious point that you and I aren't worried, designed to worry either. We do it often, but it's not, what we're, it's not what we're designed for. And he says, God has made this repeated pattern of meeting the flower's needs so they don't worry about it. And isn't that true for us? Uh, I've worried about many things over the last 40 years, 
And here I am. Somehow God provided what I need. I mean, you would think 40 years of like having what I need would sort of calm that down. God knows what you're going to need in the future. Verse 30, at the end of this section, it says, If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? I always read that last line and I'm like, you of little faith. Why'd you have to like jab me with that? What do you, what do you mean, you of little faith? Uh, I actually, as I read it more and more, I don't, I don't think that's a jab. I think what Jesus is saying is, even though you have a very small amount of faith, that tiny little amount of faith is so precious to God that he can do incredible things with it. And I, I think that because it's, it's consistent with other things that Jesus says. Um, you know, God's not requiring a lot of us. It's really on him to make it happen. Even that small amount of faith is what God's looking for. So let me ask you this question. What would your life be like? How would your life be different if it was completely untouched by fear, completely untouched by anxiety, apprehension, worry, uh, if, the, if the burden that you, you feel, that you're, the thing you're worried about, what would your life be like if that, that problem bore no weight on you? Uh, I'm not a natural worrier. I'm sort of a natural risk taker. Like if things are just fine, I kind of feel like I need to make a mess somewhere so I can have something to fix. Um, but what it looks like for me, I, I'm not a worrier. What I do is when I'm concerned about something, I squeeze it harder. I, I have to control it. Anybody uh, controlling? Don't raise your hand for that one. Uh, it turns out it's not that admirable of a quality. People actually don't like it. But that's what I do. I want to control. I want to overly manage every situation. That's how it comes out of me. So maybe you're not a hand wringer, but maybe you're a controller. What would your life be like if you could just Walk away for the day and not even be worried about what was happening back at the office because those people are going to take care of it. How good would that feel? How much would that lighten your burden? That would change a lot of things. I think a lot of us would sleep easier. Um, I, know, I know that I would. I would have had a lot more sleep in my life if I was untouched by worry. Some of us, maybe you're kind of toward the other end of the spectrum, how good would it feel for you to walk out into the world full of confidence? to feel like, you know what, I can do this. I'm not worried about what other people think of me. I, I'm not even concerned about that. How good would that feel? Maybe if you've felt the weight of that. That would change an awful lot of things for a lot of us. Some of us would experience an entirely new life if we could go free from fear. Now that might not sound realistic, uh, but we see this example in Matthew 8 where Jesus is, uh, he's having this interaction with his disciples and it's under extreme stress. Uh, you know, we can say don't worry, and sometimes we think, but that's fine for your situation because this one's an actually, like, big deal. Like, this one actually requires immediate action. Um, but Jesus is in a situation like that in Matthew chapter 8, and he has this similar conversation with his disciples. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, thousands of people have been pressing in on Jesus all day, so just imagine you're, like, the principal subject at the Puyallup Fair all day. You're tired at the end, right? Even no matter how extroverted you are, you're done at the end. And Jesus says, hey, let's hop in the boat and go to the other side so we can just get away for a little bit. So they get in the boat, and this huge storm comes up. Matthew 8, 24 says, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. You get, you get in the picture of furious storm. The Greek word is actually 
seismos. It's where we uh, get our word for seismology, seismic, seismologist. Those. It implies like a shifting in the earth. Uh, this is no small storm, is my point. Waves coming over the boat. But the next line says, but Jesus was sleeping. Uh, which makes sense. I mean, I, I kind of thought, like, how could you sleep through the storm? But given what he's been doing all day, I guess it kind of makes sense to me that he's just not concerned about that. He just needs downtime. There's this huge storm, and the disciples go, and they wake him up. And fear does something really strange to them. They, they start to ask Jesus this question. You would think they go to Jesus and say, hey, can you help us out here? Can you calm the storm? But they don't do that. They don't ask about his ability to calm the storm. Or you'd think they would go and ask him for a directive. What do we do? I mean, that's, that's what I do when I, I'm at a loss. God, what do I do? But they don't ask that kind of question. They don't, ask about, uh, they don't ask about his knowledge of the storm, right? You might say, do you see what's happening to me? They don't do that. The question they ask is actually kind of a ridiculous question. The question they ask him is, don't you care what's happening to us? Now think about the life that they've had. They've been living with, walking with Jesus for a long time now. I mean, they have clearly witnessed the fact that he does, in fact, care for them. But their fear makes them ask something that's completely irrational. And that's what fear does to us. It's actually really tragic because it makes them doubt Jesus' most foundational promise to them, his love, because of their fear. And that happens in our lives, too. You got you to track with this because it's sneaky. You know, we don't, we don't always see it coming. But when we're overcome by fear, all of a sudden what we do is we replace God with safety. And safety becomes our new God. You ever been in a situation that just created so much stress that the only thing you cared about was getting out from under the weight of the stress, no matter what it cost you? Uh, I, I think probably most of us have experienced that in some way. Safety becomes our God in that way. And I'm just here to tell you, safety makes a pretty lame God. Because safety is really fickle. Uh, so many things are out of our control in life. But when we're afraid, nothing matters except getting to safety. And that can lead to some pretty destructive things when we're trying to fill that need. When all that matters is safety, I start to worship the risk-free life. And that, that wouldn't be a huge deal except that when safety becomes my God, I lose my capacity for greatness. Think, think about it this way. Uh, when safety is my God and I try to avoid risk in every area, what do you do with the fact that raising children is risky or loving someone is risky or changing jobs is risky? Adventure is risky. Pursuing God's purpose is risky. Well, if all I care about, care about is safety, what am I doing to all those other areas? I'm kind of leaving a lot on the table there. I'm, I'm forfeiting my, the possibility of greatness in that area, forfeiting the possibility of greatness in my marriage or in my relationship with my kids or in my career because I'm just choosing safety. So many good and meaningful things are risky in life. We, we just can't avoid it, and we forfeit the opportunity for greatness. And I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, over the years, I've, I've really seen a lot of people forfeit the opportunity for greatness, for a great marriage, for a great home, for a great career, because safety was the thing that they desired the most. But you know what I love? What I get really excited about 
is when I see the person who says, this is my dream, this is the passion God's given me, and I'm going for it. And if I fail and you all laugh at me, I don't really care. If there's a wall right there, I'm going to leave a me-shaped hole in that wall. I love seeing that kind of person. Because here's my experience. We've all failed. I've failed at many things. But doesn't God make really good course corrections? Doesn't he, doesn't he somehow bring it back together and say, all right, well, let's dust that off and, and try again. Maybe something different this time. Uh, God's really good at turning those situations around. So there's a verse in 2 Timothy that I've just decided I'm going to read it. I'm going to also believe it. And then I'm also going to act like I believe it. And it's found in 2 Timothy it's chapter 1, verse 7. It says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. So if you're feeling the fear, just know cognitively that's not from God. That came from somewhere else. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. I want to read it, believe it, and then act accordingly. Then act like I believe it. So what I know about the future is that it's going to be different today than today. The future will be different. And for all of our self-preservation efforts, sometimes we can end up paralyzing our future. Sometimes we paralyze our relationships because we don't like the risk of putting ourselves out there. We paralyze our endeavors or maybe our careers or business opportunities because the, the risk is too much to stomach. We, we can paralyze all kinds of things that God might want to do in our lives. And I just don't want to live that way. You want to get to the end and say, you know what? There was all kinds of factors in my life, but fear wasn't one of them. That's, that's the kind of life I want to live. So I'm going to call on you to take three very simple courses of action. I know, you're like, course of action? We don't do that here. Uh, but these are easy. You can, do, you can do these ones. The first one is really simple. Think of the situation in your life that causes you the most anxiety. It's probably the thing that's getting the bulk of your attention these days. The thing that you're most nervous about. For some of you, that's really, really easy because it's like immediate. I got to deal with this now. Uh, but what's the thing that you're most concerned about? Could be a job. Could be something unknown in the future. Could be maybe one of your kids is on a path that you're not thrilled about. Could be all kinds of things. Step number two is, now that you've thought of that thing... Think of how it would feel like if the burden for that situation, the pressure, was all of a sudden just released. If all of a sudden the weight that's on your shoulders was just removed. How, how good would that feel? To just have the weight lifted. Uh, how great would it be if God just gave you perfect peace to know it's fine. God's got me. It's, it's really going to be fine. How great would that feel to release the weight? Now... The third thing, of course, you know, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. This is where it gets more difficult. Uh, we know from the Bible that God doesn't want us to live in fear. He wants us to live by faith, not by fear. Uh, I think we've established that much. And one of the things I really, really love about God's style and the way he is, it says so much about his character, is that sometimes we think of God as just being about like the don't do's. But God doesn't just tell us what not to do in this case. He tells us what to do. He gives us an alternative. Don't be afraid. Do this instead. He gives us another direction to go. So now that you've thought of your situation and you've thought of how great it would be to have a resolution, 
I want you to consider the application of this verse that I'm going to read. Now, not just the application for somebody else, because uh, that's you know pretty easy to do. Oh, yeah, they should definitely not be afraid. Um, but what's the course of action for you? What is God trying to say to you and your situation? Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And then the outcome of that situation, you'll experience God's peace. Isn't the outcome, isn't that really the thing that we're all looking for anyway? To experience God's peace? Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Instead, talk to God about it. And then you will experience his peace. Now, I know that's really like it's, it's literary, literarily brilliant. It reads really nice. But remember the thing we said at the beginning. If, at the, if in the beginning God, if that's true, then it's reasonable to believe that this will actually work. So what if, what if this actually will work? What if all you really have to do is just decide, I'm not going to worry about this anymore, God. I can't handle this. I can't deal with this anymore. I'm going to let you carry it. What if it really is that simple? It sounds way too simple, but yes, I am actually suggesting that we let go and let God. Oh, man, somebody should put that on a coffee cup. I am actually suggesting that we do that. I'm actually suggesting that that's what God is calling us to, to simply let him carry the burden. And this is what I've learned in my own life. I will be governed by one of two things. It will either be faith or it will be fear, but it's never both. I don't want to be a person who lives by fear. And I know that none of us does. I mean, I think we agree about that. And the good news is, God's given us a way to get to faith. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. I just I was talking to Pastor Chris earlier, and I just thought of this, this verse that came to mind. And uh, man, if you have a Bible app on your phone, or if you have a Bible with you, uh, if you just have a pen, you need to write this down. It's so short. I think every Christian should memorize this verse. It's Psalm chapter 4, verse 8. I think, uh, I think every Christian should memorize this and just say it to yourself as often as needed. Uh, we know that David, uh, King David, it's, has a really amazing story of a life, but let's surmise it to say this. He wrote most of the Psalms while fleeing for his life. Let's, let's put it that way. And this is what he says to God in Psalm chapter 4, verse 8. He says, I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Isn't that a place you want to be when you're tied in knots? David, David just can't carry it anymore. He says, I'm going to lay down right now, and I'm just going to go to sleep. Because if I'm going to be safe, it's going to be because of you. You alone can keep me safe, so I'm not going to carry it anymore. So this is what I want to do right now, uh, and we're just going to head out in just a minute. I'm going to pray for you in just a second. This is the challenge that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw at you. Uh, and I'm, I, when I say challenge, I mean, I'm actually asking you to do this. I actually believe this will be a catalyst to good things in your life. 
I'm going to pray that God will carry your burden for you, but you got to let him have it. And when you go out the doors today, there's nothing irresponsible about leaving the weight here. You still have responsibilities. We all do. We still have things that we have to do. But leave the weight. Leave the pressure of making sure there's a positive outcome. Leave that here for God. It's a real thing. You can actually do that. So let's, let's pray together. God, I believe what's in this book. I believe that in the beginning, you. You created the heavens and the earth. And I believe that everything that comes after that makes sense because in the beginning, you were there. You put it all in motion. So God, right here today, I trust in you. I give you my faith. Lord, I pray that faith would rise up in each one of us, specifically in the areas where we're afraid, where we're concerned, where we're worried, where we have anxiety, the areas where we're controlling things that ultimately we really can't control anyway. And I pray that faith would rise up in our lives. God, that you would prove yourself trustworthy as you have so many times before and that we could simply go free, that we could live as free people because of you, Lord. I pray you do that work in Jesus' name. Amen.